Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Happy New Year, Kev. Happy New Year, Rob. Any resolutions? Oh, to be more generous, you. Same. I wonder if any of our listeners wish to be more generous, too. Well, listeners, if generosity is on your resolution list, head on over to Patreon.com. Yep, that's right. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And then you can set up a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continuing what we are doing. So thank you. Thank you. And if your resolution is to get rid of all your fatty foods and start a healthy diet, please mail me all your fatty foods, courtesy of the UPS store on Amsterdam Avenue. Oh God, stop that, Rob. May this year be your favorite year. Thanks, Benji Stone. <laughs> So lovely, Kevin. <laughs> my favorite, favorite year. Like no other year of my life. Like my favorite year. Oh, we're closing. Bye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. It's the end of the year. It's twenty end of 2019, and we are doing our In Memoriam episode. That is correct. That we do every year, unfortunately, but we like to treat these like, a, like an Irish wake. A celebration a ce- of sorts. A celebration, and to celebrate with us always is the wonderfully brilliant Leroy Reams. Hello, Leroy. How are you? Hello, hello, and happy, happy New Year to everyone. Yes. It's been a tough 19, but let's hope in 2020 is going to bring us all many good things. Yes, yes fingers crossed. Yes. Um, our listeners, they, they love having you on. All, they all wait for the end of the year. I've Do- always loved being had. <laughs> and this is, this is going to be an X-rated version tonight because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little you know, vulnerable, as it were. And also, as we talk about the people, I like to tell personal stories, and some of them are a little X-rated. So, you know, this is the don't blue version. sue us. This right. is just, you right. know. Right. It's just the facts. Just, just the facts. Just the facts, man. Yeah. Because I mean, say- all of us are human, so let's yeah. be real. <laughs> I mean, come on. Allegedly. We, yes. we say allegedly. These are alleged stories. Exactly. So we lost a lot of legends this year. Yes, My we did. My God. And, and you were close personal friends with so many of them. Yes. So I'm going to start with Carol Channing. Yes. How did you first meet Carol Channing? Well, uh, it's interesting. I auditioned for Lorelei, mm. and I got it. I had been offered to go to London with Bacall and Applause, and our agent then, who really was... Betty Bacall, and I refer to her as Betty because that's the way her friends, right? You know, referred to her. So if I don't say Lauren, it's because she liked to be called Betty, mm-hmm. Betty Persky, which was her, you know, her name before it became Lauren Bacall. And uh, I, I, our agent then, who really was her agent, who took me on because she made him do it. Uh, Peter Witt, who was a wonderful agent, and uh, he didn't want me to go. He wanted me to stay because I had played a homosexual in a musical, and it was time that I should change my image so that I don't get typecast. And uh, I auditioned for Lorelei, and I got it. So he said, don't tell Betty, but I think you should take that and not go to London. And I did. I took his advice, and and that's when I first met Carol. And our first day of rehearsal... 
I something just told me to be prepared to do press. So I brought a, a little rhinestone clasp bracelet that had her name on the clasp. And when I was in Covington, Kentucky, at Holmes High School, our senior prom, we went to the Beverly Hills Country Club where all the stars came Ooh. to work. And it was in Covington. And the headliner was Carol Channing. <laughs> so all year long, we saved our money so we could go to the Beverly Hills Country Club. And of course, it was they had gambling there, which everyone in the town knew. We even knew the door you went in to get, but it was against the law. Uh, so goes the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we go up to uh, the Beverly Hills Country Club and all the girls in their little, you know, net dresses and we got our tuxedos on and Carol Channing was the star. And at the end she came out and she sang, a kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. I've got a bit of a cold, I'd be better. <laughs> but she threw out these rhinestone bracelets and I caught two. So... First day of rehearsal, I brought one of those rhinestone bracelets to the rehearsal. And I said, Miss Channing, I, bought, I caught this at the uh, Beverly Hills Country Club in Covington, Kentucky, where I was reared. And of course, she went, oh, I. so we had a picture taken holding the bracelet. And it became one of the press things that we did on tour. That's how I began my relationship with Carol. Mm -hmm. And of course, after Lorelei closed, we became very close. And then she called one day and said, Leroy, I'm doing a revival of Hello, Dolly, and I want you to play Cornelia Sacco, but Jerry Herman and Lucia Victor, the director, don't know you, darling, but it doesn't matter. You've got the part. And I did. I got the <laughs> part. So that became my lifelong association with Carol, yeah. having played Cornelia Sacco, then directing her into production, and right. we were friends and, until her death. And uh, so I've got a long history, and oh, Carol Channing and her husband, Charles Lowe, her third husband, Charles yes. Lowe, uh, a, a lot of um, gratitude mm. for giving me much of my career. And it was through Carol that I, of course, met Jerry Herman. Yeah. And so that became a lifelong mm. friendship, too. So I'm very proud of that, by the way. And I, uh, as I talked to you earlier, I'm. that's what means the most to me is the friendships and the genius and creative people I've worked with mm -hmm. that accepted me mm. and I'm, I'm very proud of those friendships I treasure them with all my heart what was it like directing her well it's interesting because she you know she Carol is like a robot she pretty much gives the same performance but I wanted her to rediscover Dolly uh, not revive her, but rediscover her. And mm -hmm. so I sat with Carol and we talked that a woman back at the turn of the century could not vote. And she basically was under the, the thumb of her husband. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only thing a woman had to use to get what she wanted was her sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to bring that out, sort of a women's lib kind of attitude about women of that period. And with Dolly Levi, her husband dies and she realizes that she doesn't have a lot of money because he was spending it entertaining everybody, and obviously they couldn't have children, and uh, I, who's ever couldn't, but they didn't have children. So they went out a lot, and like he, money was like manure, you know, encouraging young things to grow. But then he probably didn't collect a lot of bills from the people because he was generous, and she found herself in a 
situation where the, the business was not in great shape and she lost the business and became what a woman could be, a matchmaker, and then other little things she did to make money to survive. So I wanted to get, delve into that to make it different for Carol. So when we, uh, I had, I restaged So Long Deary because I wanted her to be, you know, when Horace says, I would marry you, the last woman on earth, and her thing as well. Guess what? I don't want to marry you, but what I've got is so good, but you can't have it. So, so long, dearie, but what I got is so good. And it's an enticement. So I wanted to go there. So I just wanted to give her things to think about. And uh, she fought, but at least I said it, and she couldn't help but think about it. Yeah. And it did make a difference. And uh, we did change some things because of that. So, and I, I, Carol was doing that revival, and she was then 76 years old. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, uh, that's quite something. Yes. That she would have the energy, number one, to do it. And uh, so I, I was very proud of what we managed to do at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah. And sharing the stage with her, what was that experience like? Well, she liked me very much because, you know, Carol liked you to look at her at all times. Oh. But only she could face front because <laughs> she always talked to the audience. But we just had to make sure we, our eyes never left her. And uh, so I did what I was told, and I was also consistent, too, because she liked consistency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if things went wrong, it threw her. And uh, she always gave 110% at every performance. And uh, so I adjusted to what she wanted, and I gave her what she wanted, and that's why we got along. And uh, it was tough getting her to look at it a different way when I directed her, and we had our moments, but we uh, always talked it out. Mm. And I had to be honest, which is the only way that I can work. So at least I said what I thought, and if she chose not to do it, she had star status over anything that I gave her. Right. She could do whatever she wanted to because she was the reason the show was being done. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I was proud of what we did with that last version. And, I, and, and anybody who's creative is going to change a lot. It doesn't always mean it's better, it's just different. Yeah. And with the current revival, you know, uh, some of it was similar and some of it wasn't. And right. I'm just, I can't be objective about it because I love it the way that I knew it and the way that it was created because I knew Carol Channing and I knew Jerry Herman. Mm -hmm. And I did the show the way they wanted the show done which is the way I wanted it done, because that's the way I loved it, along with Michael Stewart, by the way, mm. who was the original book writer. Right. You know, and the book writer never gets the credit they deserve. Mike did a wonderful job with that show. And I knew Mike because of 42nd Street, so I knew where the laughs were, and I knew how important they were to him. And uh, technically, you know, we, we tried to do that with the revival. That's great. Yeah. And then uh, also in January, not only did we lose Carol Channing, we also lost Kay Ballard, oh, who was a guest of ours guest on the podcast. Of yours. Of my, <laughs> I went to visit her in Palm Springs, and she sat down, did an interview, and was absolutely charming and hysterical. Um, One of the most generous human beings on the planet. Yeah. Kay was a trailblazer and a wonderful woman, and I first met her when I was on tour with Applause. And on the weekends, I used to do the second shows at Mr. Kelly's which was a nightclub in uh, Chicago, a very top-notch nightclub, by the way. Yeah. And she was the headliner, and I could oh. do the second shows on the weekends, but then Nelson Bryles, who was a baseball player with some organization at the time, I had no idea who he was or what baseball team he was with, but he was a singer. 
and he used to do the early shows with her, and then I would do the, the late shows. Oh. So when Kay came into the club, I was rehearsing, and she thought I was Nelson Bryles, <laughs> the baseball player. So here I am up there carrying on, and she's going, oh, my God. That's a baseball player? <laughs> and then, of course, after it was over, I introduced myself, and we got a big laugh. But we became friends from that moment on. And I mean really friends. Mm. And during the years, uh, for instance, when they did the revival of No, No, Nanette at Paper Mill, and Kay was cast, I wasn't. They had asked Jimmy Brennan, who was with my agency, and I knew he wasn't going to do the production because he wanted to do Camelot. So I was at Kay's in Palm Springs visiting, and uh, she said, why, uh, why come you didn't do the show? They love you at Paper Mill. I said, no, but they asked Jimmy Brennan. I said, but he's not going to do it. She said, give me the phone. And she called um, the director, choreographer. Uh, oh, now come on, my mind, I'm old now. I have to really go back. Uh, you know who choreographed No, No, Nanette? Oh, uh, Donald Donald Sadler. Sadler. Oh, yeah. A lovely man, Donald Sadler. So she called Donald on the phone, and she said, Donald Sadler, I'm sitting here with Leroy Reams. Jimmy Brennan isn't going to do your show, <laughs> and Leroy Reams is here, and if you don't hire him, you're a fool, and I'm putting him on the phone right now. And she handed me the phone. And I said, Donald, do you feel any pressure? <laughs> what a broad. And I did, I did get cast. Oh. But that's, a, that's the kind of person Kay is. And then she also got me the most money I have ever made in show business to do a concert tour with she and uh, Lillian Montevecchi. And it's the most money I've ever made in, wow. my, in my career for a job. What? Yeah, she was responsible for that. And that was, you know, a few years ago, yeah. two or three years ago. And uh, so that's the kind of person Kay is. She's... And, and also, she told me one night in all confidence, we've got to get a little X-rated. Yes. You're, you're, Kay had a brief affair with Marlon Brando. Oh. So think about like that. Like you do. So I said, Kay, I'll never speak to you again if you don't tell me all about it. And she did. <laughs> and it was quite wonderful and uh, nothing too bad to tell. I don't want to tell the size. I don't think that's fair, <laughs> but who cares? And... Uh, but anyway, she did have a, a little affair with Marlon Brando. I was very jealous. And Kay was a well-known lesbian. And oh, yeah. So, you know, I, she didn't, didn't hide it necessarily. But in the days, you couldn't really always mention that. So, you know, but I, I love the fact that she shared that moment with me. <laughs> oh, I, I love could that. dream. I yeah. mean, everybody should have an affair with You can with live Marlon vicariously Brando. through her. Yeah, yeah sure. abso absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> was, it, was it a small affair or was it a big affair? Oh, a small affair. Uh -huh. <laughs> We gave you the hint there, so write it down. Um, now, anything I say over this, you all write it down on little pads paper, and then we'll, we'll tell you all about it later. There'll be a test at the over end. Over drinks. There'll be a test at the end. Kevin, I see you looking at a name. Oh, yeah. I was just, I, I don't know if we're going in order or, or not, um, but I noticed we were talking about uh, different writers and Mark, Mark Bramble, speaking yes. of 42nd oh, yeah. Street. Yes. You know, and, and boy, he, he had quite a connection to that. Did, did you meet him when you were? Oh, when of you course. Of course. Of course. We were very close during yeah. 42nd Street. And he and Mike were partners. Yeah. Uh, then they didn't become uh, romantically involved after a while. They became professional mm -hmm. friends, but were very, very close. And I'm not telling anything out of, of school. It, it was very obvious, and it was well-known in the business. And uh, they worked very closely on Barnum mm -hmm. and uh, Elizabeth and Essex, and, uh, and then, of course, 42nd Street. And uh, Mark was there, and he was a charming guy and, and died too much too young. Yeah. Uh, but w I didn't know that he had a heart condition, and obviously that it w that's what it was. And I know that 
uh, we did a benefit for a Mike Stewart Foundation that he asked me to sing on, and then he invited me down to, I think it was Baltimore, God, I hope I have the right city, down there someplace, mm -hmm. where he was kind of from, and uh, he said, I really want you to come down and, like, spend a weekend, or, you know, and he was very honest about it, and, and I didn't do it because I had dogs and all that stuff, and it was complicated, but a very generous man, and, uh, you know, had a happy life, and because I think Mike left him a big portion of 42nd Street, so he had a something to do and yeah. you know he did the revivals and everything right he was always a part of it yeah yeah, yeah. so keeper yeah. of the flame exactly yes. Yeah. yeah yes yeah. yeah do you have another one is it uh georgia angle oh well georgia was a strange case i <laughs> i did sleeping <laughs> sleeping beauty with her what? at the muni and she really was you that, did yes she played the fairy godmother or the fairy something or other and I was the king. Of course. And so we were, it was kind of like intimated perhaps we had a, you know, a, a romance <laughs> there. I mean, it was kind of a, a crazy show that we did. Because Sleeping Beauty never really went to sleep until like the last five minutes and then she woke up real quick. So, <laughs> and then uh, uh, the big uh, uh, Ken Page played the cow. Oh, yes. It was a dancing cow. And Ken, with that wonderful voice, <laughs> was the cow who got to sit off the side of the stage with a fan, and the rest of us were out there sweating, you know, in these costumes. But this was it, a it, was, it was a wild piece. It was down at the Muni, and Marsha Lewis was the evil stepmother. Oh, it was the a great, great Marsha Lewis. Oh God, we laughed ourselves absolutely oh, my crazy. Goodness. But Georgia was very much that character that you see, right? You know, so she was uh, certainly unique. Mm -hmm. And I know once she said to me, I don't think that the king would ever touch me because I'm the fairy godmother. I said, I'm the king. I can touch any fucking person I want to. <laughs> what do you mean? She said, oh, Leroy, you're such a pill. You know, oh, so oh, she's a pill. Yes, she, she was kind of like that. So we weren't on the same plane, but sure. I certainly had a lot of respect for her. And I saw her do... A Hello Dolly with Ethel Merman, and she was terrific. <laughs> really? Playing oh. Minnie Faye and Marshall Lewis was Ernestina. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, um, think again. about that. That's a, wow. Yeah. Oh my god. That's a group. Well, yeah. I saw her in Dr Drowsy Chaperone, and I honestly couldn't tell it, if, if the character she was playing on stage was the same person that she was off stage because they seemed so, yes. like the ditzy sort of like, the what's answer, going the on? The answer yeah. is yes. And then I saw her in old TV from the At 70s. At least with my experience. I same. didn't go home and go to bed with her. Right. So I can't tell you anything there. But, you know, as far as professionally working and, and knowing her socially as I did, yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah, good one. All um, right. Now, uh, St Stanley Donan. Yes. Now, we have to be very careful about this. Uh-oh. <laughs> because I didn't know Stanley Donan. But Donan, I like Don. Donan. Because some say Donan, it's Donan. Uh, he was honored by the Fred Astaire uh, Award. Uh, the the uh, Fred Astaire and his sister. Adele. Adele. The Adele and Fred Astaire Award, I have to say it correctly, because it wasn't the Fred Astaire, it was the Adele and Fred Astaire Award. We have to make that you know, known. <laughs> and uh, he was being honored, and uh, Patricia Watt, who you know, was the producer, asked me you know, if I would ask a certain actress if she would like to come and give him the word. I'm not going to mention a certain actress because she's still alive. And she did two of his films, so you all out there, sit down and get out your books and start <laughs> writing, and, and maybe you'll figure it out. Uh, but I called, and she said I wouldn't give him a drink of water if he was dying in the desert. He was a, a nasty man and was not very kind when she worked with him. And uh, 
so and she then said, and uh, when he went to California with Gene Kelly after Pal Joey on Broadway, in which they both appeared, they were lovers. Now, I've never heard that Allegedly, about Gene Kelly from yes. anybody else, and I hear a lot of dish, nor on Stanley Donnan, by the way. Yeah. And they both married and had children and all of that, but I'm telling you that's what she said. And I'm not doing that to gossip necessarily, but mm -hmm. to bring a little reality. People are more complicated than you think. Mm. Everything is not black and white. There's mm -hmm. a lot of gray matter out there, and, and you know, I'm not saying that either one of them was homosexual, but mm -hmm. she said it. And I, I didn't know Gene Kelly. I met him only once when he came backstage mm -hmm. after 42nd Street, and he was my idol. Mm -hmm. I worshipped Gene Kelly. And we both have the same birth date, August 23rd. We're both Irish, and I wanted to be Gene Kelly, and we were very similar in what we did, sing, dance, act, choreograph, direct, all of that. Yep. Yeah. And so I had a lot in common. And uh, But he didn't always have the best reputation with people, and I've heard that from a lot of people, including Arthur Lawrence, oh. who knew him very well, and a lot of people that he was not always that charming, wonderful screen personality we wanted him to be. And when he came backstage, I, upon meeting him, said, I'm going to make a fool of myself because I, I worship you, mm. and please forgive me for you know, overdoing... And he said, well, I tell you one thing, kid, you certainly sing a lot better than Fred and I ever could, which was a compliment. <coughs> and I asked for an autographed picture, and he sent it. So it was a good thing. And I treasure that yeah. picture, by the way. But I didn't know him personally, and uh, maybe I, I shouldn't gossip and tell things. But at the same time, too, it brings everything in perspective. Yeah. Yes. You know. We yeah. like that. Yeah, well, we like we, an anecdote. We all have ups and downs, and, you know, that's, that's life. It is. And that's what makes a drama... And that's what, you know, it makes things interesting. We just all can't be stereotyped and done with a punch. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And also in February, we lost Albert Finney, the oh, great yes. Albert Finney. Yes. Great actor. Never had him. Never. <laughs> then let's skip him. But he, was a, but he was a wonderful actor. And, you know, of course, he had that big affair with Audrey Hepburn. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes, when they did Two for the Row. That's been documented. Oh. Oh, yeah, they had a big whoop-de-doo. Oh, well, good for them. Yeah. Joe well, Sirola? Did you ever work with Joe Sirola? I, no, I never worked with him, but I knew him, yeah. Yeah, he he was gold, He did Golden Rainbow on Broadway. He was an actor and then turned into producing. Uh, right. Yeah. And a very generous Golden man. Rainbow. He took me out to dinner once, and a couple people joined us at the table, and he said, were they friends of yours? I said, I never saw them before in my life. And he picked up the check. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I said, you thought they were friends of mine, Joe? I never saw them before. <laughs> so anyway, oh, that. That's my Joe Sorolla story. But I used to see him at a lot of events at the Friars Club. Oh, okay. And stuff. Mm -hmm. Very generous, nice man. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, and then in March, we lost one of my favorite actresses, Catherine Helmond. Um, t TV actress of did course. Who's the Boss yes, and all of that stuff. The, the mom and Re the really long theater career. Did you ever work with her? No. No, and yeah, I never she met her. A long Talented. Time. Oh, my uh, God. She was soap. But I didn't know a lot of TV people unless they were in the musical variety. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, for instance, Diane Carroll. Oh, oh. yeah. Tell us about Diane, Diane Carroll. Carroll uh, uh, did a lot of television. Yeah. And uh, we did a, I think it was an Ed Sullivan show. As I remember, it was either that or it was the Steve Lawrence summer replacement show. Oh. And there were three ladies that were on board. There was Joey Heatherton. Diane Carroll, and uh, Nancy Walker. Oh. And, I mean, this is another little wow. dirty thing. Get you all titillated out there. Uh, I had a beard burn. Now, if you don't know how to get one, you put that on your list, and you ask a few people how you get a beard burn. 
but I had a beard burn, and they were concerned on camera that it would show. So I started out as being the boy from Ipanema with Joey Heatherton, and I thought that maybe because of my beard burn on my chin that it would show. So then I became a Spanish dancer no. with Diane Carroll, who did In a Little Spanish Town, it was on a night like this, and I was the Spanish guy. Then I, thought, well, th- then I ended up being the chic, <laughs> where they put me in a big thing, and uh, Nancy Walker beat the shit out of me oh. in the number. So that's how I went down the road. But I did work with Diane Carroll. So that's the thing. Now you're going to ask about a beard burn. Yeah. I'm still, I was going to take my phone out and Google it or go to Urban What is Dictionary. a beard burn? A beard burn, it's when you're making love with someone who has a beard <laughs> and they're a little aggressive on your face and it makes a beard burn. Oh. Now see, I told you. I didn't know I that. Write that down, yes. Kids, write that down. That's going to be on the test. Yes. Beard burn. And girls get beard burns oh, sure. too. So, you know, come on. All these hipsters. It's oh. not, you know, just for the boys. <laughs> that's right. It's, yeah. it's for everybody <laughs> now. So everyone wins. Um, Scotty Bauer. Yes, Scotty it's time. Well, honey, that's a show in its own. T- it, tell I us mean, it really is. Well, there was a docu- there's a documentary on it. A you fabulous guys. Well, documentary. Well, honey, and yeah. listen, as far as I'm concerned, it's true. I heard the stories from the man. So, and he was very, uh, you know, he never told all that stuff until after they died, and then, you know, he was later in his years. But it puts everything into reality. It does. I mean, everybody's so not perfect. Who, who, uh, some of our listeners might not have listened to our previous episodes. Who was Scotty Bowers? Scotty Bowers was, for lack of a better term, a male madam. Yeah. And he started out, if you read his book, I can do a synopsis. It's going to turn into hours and hours. But if you read his book when he was a little boy and he visited with his uh, one of his little boyfriends, the boyfriend's father, he used to come out in the barn and do things with him sexually, which did bother him. And, uh, and then when he started delivering papers to the churches the priest would you know buy a paper and then take him behind and have a little thing going so he never had a problem with that and by the way he wasn't homosexual he was just sexual and he preferred women actually and then when he got out of the service as a marine he was working at a gas station in hollywood and uh, uh, walter pigeon drove in one day and saw him and liked him and asked him if he'd like to come up for a swim and he went up for a swim, and he did what Walter does naturally, and uh, gave him some money. And so wa- Scotty started earning money. Then other people started coming into the filling station. And it got so busy that he started putting the work out to other men and who were buddies of his who didn't care as long as they didn't have to kiss him, right. and then with the women. And so he started... They started doing it actually there at the filling station. They would get in the back and get in the cars, and suddenly he became well-known, and he gave up pumping gas because he was making money on his own. And he didn't necessarily take money from the other people. He just delved it out. He spread the wealth. And he became very famous servicing a lot of the stars of Hollywood, two of which were Catherine Hepburn and uh, Spencer Tracy. (laughs) And you know, and he and I heard it out of his own mouth that Spencer Tracy was an alcoholic, and he would call Scotty up at like one or two in the morning, and Scotty would go out, and you know, Spencer would do with him what he liked to do, and Catherine Hepburn would have him deliver women to her. I mean, that's what the book says. I wasn't there in the room, but it puts everything into perspective. And if you read his book, Full Service, you will see all the stuff and. Uh, 
So when I met him was at the first gay party I ever went to in mm -hmm. Hollywood at Tony Sharmley's, for whom I was working oh. on the Danny K show. He was the choreographer for Woman of the Year. Yeah. Yes. And uh, my favorite choreographer, I adored Tony. Oh. He's still with us. Yeah. He's nearing 100. He's just oh. incredible. He's such a wonderful man and, and was really the best person in television. He made television dancing an art form. Mm. Credit to Tony Sharmley. But he had this party, and they were all men. It's the first time I've ever been to an all-gay party. And servicing the party was Scotty Bowers, who was the bartender and the waiter. And he brought out the hors d'oeuvres with his penis on the hors d'oeuvre tray. <laughs> and then he would take his penis and mix drinks with it mm -mm. and hand you the drink. Oh, yes. And that was the first night I saw an avocado or an artichoke. Because <laughs> we didn't have those in Covington, Kentucky. So it was quite a, an experience it's for me. the actual. <laughs> yes. So fade out on that story. That was the mid-'60s. Oh, now, it's 1978. I'm doing... Uh, Hello, Dolly, with Carol Channing. And uh, she and her husband, Charles Lowe, threw an incredible party uh, in their ho uh, the home that they shared with Wally Sewell, mm -hmm. who was well-known to have been Charles's lover uh -huh. before Carol. It was a well-known fact. They were social, and people in Hollywood knew it. And Charles was a, uh, a producer on the uh, Burns and Allen show. Oh. And when Gracie got cancer, and they said she was retiring, she had cancer. And they brought Carol Channing out because she was with William Morris, that he was also with William Morris, uh, you know, uh, uh, George Burns. Right. And so Carol was brought out, and uh, Charles Lowe was a producer on the show. He was in advertising for Carnation, <laughs> who was the sponsor. And uh, so George Burns kind of match-made that arrangement and said, you know, she could really be a big star and you should handle her, which he did. So at this party that Charles and Carol had thrown, it's now 1978, mm -hmm. and uh, servicing the party is Scotty Bowers. <laughs> and he comes up to me and he says, I know you. And I said, I'm surprised you know me, <laughs> but I certainly never forgot you. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm playing Cornelius Hackle in the show. I said, what are you doing here? He said, ah, I used to do it with Charles and Wally, and we used to do it at the old Carol Lombard house that uh, Max Showalter now owns. I used to meet... Charles there for sex and he told me to bring one of my girls over one day and show him how to fuck a woman he was going to marry Carol Channing <laughs> now that that made the wire hot yeah <laughs> can't write and this. that's the story that's amazing yeah <laughs> oh that's good mm -hmm. that's really and then of course when Carol divorced Charles and all that hoopla she right. brought it out in the press and said they had sex only once or twice I thought, well, hell, if it was once or twice in 40 years, I think I remember whether it was once or, or twice. <laughs> That'd be a pretty big occasion. That's I don't know whether that was true or not. I think <laughs> Charles did his job, and he did it very well. <laughs> right. And he made her a star, and he took care of her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have nothing but kind things to say about that arrangement. Yes. They yes. both benefited greatly they from that did. arrangement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just sorry it ended up that way, that it was all in the press. And, yeah. You know, uh, Joe Sullivan Lesser. Yes. Uh, you ever, you ever uh, work with Joe? I didn't work with her, but I knew her socially because Emily Lesser, her daughter, was a matter of fact, she was a Sleeping Beauty in that Sleeping Beauty production. <laughs> I, wanna, I mean, I how look small this up. the full world circle. is. Full and circle. she is wonderful. Oh, yeah. She sings beautifully, and her mother sang beautifully, mm -hmm. and they're very down-to-earth. I mean, uh, Joe is from the Midwest. She's mm -hmm. a very down-to-earth person, and it, she's always the same, very consistent. And she w was just a lovely, talented lady who 
you know, Frank Lesser couldn't help but falling in love with her. And as Frank Lesser's son said from the former marriage, he said, you couldn't blame my father. We all fell in love with mm -hmm. Joe. She was that kind of lady. And yeah. I know once Bob and I, my husband Bob, who's now passed on, but this year, yeah. we went to Sardi's uh, one night, and Joe was there alone. Oh. And we sat next to her, and we ended up sharing dinner. And she, she was that kind of person, just very real, very down-to-earth, no-nonsense, mm -hmm. and took care of her husband's estate. Yeah. And, uh, and, and were funny, absolutely delightful and I went to her f funeral service and uh, very happy to be there because she was a wonderful person mm -hmm. and her daughter you know has wonderful children with Don Stevenson her husband oh, yeah. so it's a happy happy yeah. story yeah. I have a story about her it's an allegedly do you allegedly. really I don't know if this is true or not so she did so you know she protected Frank Lesser's estate so yeah. you remember that guys and dolls revival a few years ago. The one we don't talk about? The one we don't talk about. The one that was at was the just, Nederlander? Yeah. And it was... It was horrible. It was Jack uh, No, Des... No, Des, Des, Des directed it. Right, yeah. okay. So, Oliver Platt? No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, who was bigger than than, than Big Julie. It made yes. no sense. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Titus Burgess was yeah. like... Yeah. So, <laughs> this is the story that I heard. Uh, that they had done their final tech, and she had it in her contract that she had to come and watch before the first preview so she could make any changes. So they were going to do a full performance just for her, right? Mm, awkward. So they're sitting in the Nederlander. It's just her sitting center, right? They do the whole show. They bow to dead silence. The curtain goes down, two beats, and then you hear, what the fuck was that? No. <laughs> <laughs> and she just lit into everyone. But all you heard was, what the fuck was that? Oh, my gosh. Basically what the audience thought, too. Yes, I think she down. was expressing what we all had, uh, were thinking at that point. That was, that was what the fuck was that? Oh, wow. I, she, she had come to uh, do a couple of 54 things. She was so sweet. We wanted her for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. She was. Well, so she would sweet. have been a good interview because yeah. she was very open, very down to earth. And if you don't want to hear the truth, don't ask. Exactly, because mm -hmm. she's going to give you the truth, which is exactly what. Yeah, we, we, we kept love. trying to, yeah. to get her liked. Liked her. Uh, oh my God, I'm going to screw up his last name. Harvey Sabinson. Sabinson, the press agent. Yes. Oh, legendary. Legendary. Yes. Also, yeah. someone we were trying to get. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for this. Hoping to get him. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have any stories. I, you know, uh, I worked with all those people in the various shows and yeah. stuff, but I didn't have a personal relationship. Right. So but I a, can't but add anything. Absolute, to him. absolute genius. Um, uh, Doris Day. Yes. Well, I never met Doris Day. God knows I would have loved to because I love Big fan. Doris Day. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> she's from Cincinnati, Ohio. So, and of course, favorite. Covington, Kentucky, Cincinnati. They Sisters. call Covington, Kentucky Greater Cincinnati. Right. So that's the whole thing. Doris Kapelhoff was her, was her name. And of course, I've loved her. And Kay Ballard was a good friend of hers. Mm -hmm. So one night I was going on and on about how much I loved Doris Day. Well, Kay got me an autographed picture. And sent it, so I have an autographed picture of oh, Doris wow. Day. And I visited her uh, hotel in Carmel, mm -hmm. and where, you know, she allows the people to stay with their dogs. <laughs> so, you know, she loves dogs. Seems very so Doris Day I. Of her. So we, we love Doris Day, and, and it's a shame she never got an honorary Oscar because she deserved it for her body of work. She was a huge star. Well, that was, that was a big mistake. The Academy should be ashamed of themselves for not honoring her. And I heard a lot of people say, well, she wouldn't come down because she didn't like to fly. I said, well, to hell with that. They could have gone there and filmed her. Yeah. You know, come on. Yeah, and and they, a lot of times they give the awards to foreign directors who never show up to receive it. So what the hell is that? 
And she should have had an honorary Oscar. No. Yeah, they could have filmed something. Mm-hmm. Yes, they that's, should that's, have. That's, that's totally Her contribution to the entertainment world was incredible. She danced, she sang, she acted, and she was a, a, a wonderful person. Right. And she supported the Benny Artists on her show. And yeah. Yes. You know, like there was a whole And she went through she her created. troubles, too. I mean, her yeah. Marty Melcher died, and she goes to the weeding of the will and finds out she's broke. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, and that had to pull herself up like Debbie Reynolds, but they're surviving ladies, and they managed to, you know, pay off the debts and, right. and, and have a good life. Love Doris Day. Yeah. Now, you know, you had said that you have a, a signed photograph from her. You have a lot of autographed oh, yeah. items. I, we were I talking finally about got before smart. We went it took me a while to catch on of having people sign, you know, like all my show posters. And, right. and uh, if their name was on the poster, I had them sign it. And the story goes, I may have said that I may re- this may be a rerun to some of you for the podcast. But uh, <laughs> during applause, I had everybody but Betty Comden. So I told Bacall, you know, she would coming to the matinee. I said, she'll see you, but she won't get to see me in the Anne Frank suite I had at the top. <laughs> and uh, so uh, uh, I said, get her autograph for the poster I left in Betty's dress. That's why I came down after the matinee. And so uh, I said, did you get, she said, yes, I did. And by the way, this is Ingrid Bergman, who was in the dressing room. I went, so my mouth dropped open. And I said, how do you do, Miss Bergman? And Betty said, why don't you get Ingrid to sign your poster? And I'm thinking, she's not in the show. <laughs> but you're not going to say that. No. So uh, Miss, so she Bergman. signed the poster. And Betty said, leave it here. And everybody you meet will have them sign the poster. So that poster in the hallway now oh. is just loaded with signature over signature of the greats of show yes. business and the world. And the Kennedys and all oh, that crowd are on there, just, too. Yeah, we're talking like yeah. all of the, I mean, oh, yeah. all of the names. And so then I started, you know, collecting stuff. And, uh, yeah, I've got some good signatures. Yeah. And who, who signed your tap shoes? We were talking about this before. Ruby Keeler, one, <laughs> and James Cagney, the other. Not so bad. From, you know, the the, param- uh, the, uh, oh. the studios, you know, who yeah. did all those. Th- what was it? Oh, the, yeah. uh, Not MGM. No. Uh, Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. Oh, Warner Brothers. Yes. Warner Brothers. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really cool. That's fun. Yeah. So, and, do you still and Ruby Keeler was just a divine human being. And also, James Cagney was terrific that night. We met him. Uh, they kept us on stage. They emptied the theater, and he sat out there by himself. And so to hell with that, I jumped over the pit and went back to shake his hand and, you know, have him sign the shoe. Yeah, of course. But he did it graciously, and, uh, you know, he was a, a great power in the business. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Who else is on your list? Well, uh, I can't tell you much about how Prince... Uh, oh, yeah. God knows he left a legacy behind Boy. him. Oh, my I gosh. I mean, such an important part of the history of the theater. The creation. Yeah. I, I, uh, I do have one story that I auditioned as a replacement for Phantom of the Opera. And uh, I, I asked them if I could wear the mask when I auditioned so they couldn't see my face. They wouldn't let me do it. Huh. But, uh, you know, I did audition, and Sandy Campbell, who was the uh, accompanist, told me the story after the audition that Hal was there with uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. And while I was auditioning, Hal said to Andrew Lloyd Webber, he said, if there were an MGM today, he would be the person who would inherit Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly's title. Oh, wow. That was my, of course, I didn't get the part. (laughs) But he did send a nice letter. He definitely knew your type. And the letter basically said there has to be a darkness inherent and the actor, and unfortunately, you don't have the least bit of darkness <laughs> in you, which is not true. But uh, that's but the way still. that it was, and I never got to work. And I, when uh, they were doing company, Michael Bennett wanted me in the show, mm-hmm. so Don and I could do the sex dance. And uh, but I was too young, and uh, 
Ruth Mitchell interviewed me and said, I know Michael wants you in the show, but unfortunately you're just, you look too young and you're too young. The men in the show are older. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, I never got to work with Hal Prince. Mm. I, a, a regret of mine, yeah. nor uh, Stephen Sondheim. Right. A regret of mine. I would have liked to have had that experience. But then, of course, I had... Jerry Herman, Julie Hello. Stein, Charles Strauss, Cy yeah. Coleman. Shall I go on? Yeah, you exactly. could ask for anything more. It's not bad. So, you know, yeah. nothing in life is perfect. Right. But that generosity, though, to take the time to write you a note. Yes. Oh, yeah. Classy. He's very generous. Classy. And I would see him socially, and he would always look at me. I don't know if he ever really recognized me, but, you know, he was at least uh, kind enough. I, didn't, I never knew him past that. Sure. I don't know any young director or producer that when they got to the city that re- reached out to him that he didn't respond to yes. them and take time to mm-hmm. meet them in his office right. and talk to them about the business and answer questions. He was just very encouraging. And the body yeah. of work. Yeah. Oh. I mean, my goodness, our history was yes. so tied into Hal Prince. What a magnificent... I didn't go to the memorial service because... I, I didn't really know him personally, and I also was told that there were you no know, you had to get into a line and to get into the theater, and I just felt intimidated to go down there and say. And then I understand that there were empty seats, oh, wow. so you know more people. Could, but I think they were deterred from doing it the same way that I right. was. Yeah, you know that you would oh, be. Oh, you just figured that it would be sold out. There'd be no room. Yeah, yeah. but they didn't. They didn't uh, reserve seats and do that. So. Yeah. Interesting how that all worked out. Um, someone else that we lost this year is also a pretty big titan of the musical theater industry. Is Martin Charnin. Well, yes, it was a yes. surprise. Yes. yes, I had no. I, I was emailing him about three days ago before he had passed yeah. away. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, all of we who were dancers, there is a connection that I. It's hard to explain. Yeah. Dancers belong in a club that you can't get into unless you dance. Uh-huh. I can't explain it to you. That's a good but way to put Martin it, Martin was a dancer. With yeah, West, West Side, Side Story. Yeah. So we all knew each other. <coughs> so I knew Martin socially. <coughs> I only worked with him once at 54 or below, and he did a review of his, and I choreographed it. Mm-hmm. And we had a great working relationship, but yeah. he was a dancer. He was one of us. Yeah. You know, and it was a charming experience, and uh, he was always kind to me, and I was invited to his, you know, funeral and i was very happy to be on the list and uh you know and his wife shelly i yeah. worked at the showboat oh, yeah. at a paper mill so we all had a Love big Shelley. connection did, there yeah i worked with i was working with shelly before we, you know right before he passed i you know when we were i did a song i did one her song that she sang unusual way at 54 oh. and when i rehearsed with martin though like he this is a man who not only was a dancer but he's a director and a writer and all these other things he knew exactly how that song was supposed to be sung he knew it was a lead sheet on the piano and he Mm. would tell me where the hits were and where all the moments were he knew he knew exactly what he wanted how how she was supposed to set up the song with the jokes I mean I was so impressed with that he was just had a a vision for what he was looking for artistically and he had great success with Annie my my goodness the money that they made on that oh my god God bless it should happen to me and a sweet man. Yes. Kind. Sweet, yeah. sweet yeah. man. Yes. And yes. always working. Like, still, always like, working. always working on projects, you know, pushing things. He always had lots of stuff. Now, we have to mention Phyllis Newman. Oh, yeah. Who was, I mean, talk uh, about a legacy. And, talking, and uh, I, I knew Phyllis because of Adolph, obviously, uh, and applause and Lorelei and all that stuff. They had that gorgeous apartment at the Beresford mm-hmm. with that big terrace. Mm-hmm. And I know one night, uh, Bacall and I went to see the matinee of Hello, Dolly with Ethel Merman. 
and uh, Ethel had done two songs that Jerry had restored for her. Oh, and then they they were selling a little forty five record of those that. two songs. Yes, I have. So that I bought that for Bacall at intermission. Yeah. So we went to the party that Adolph and Betty had thrown, and I was with Bacall. So we attend the party, which it was in swing when we got there, and Bacall whenever she said, "You've got to hear this these wonderful songs from Dolly." Get the record, you know, get the record player in. So she put the 45 on it, and to play, you know, the world is full of... Well, and everybody said, wonderful things, making fun of Ethel Right. And Bacall took it off, and she said, she's got more talent in her little finger than most of you people in this room. Of course, in that room were all the, the Jewish greats, <laughs> like uh, Jerome Robbins, right. Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> I mean, you go down the list, they were all in the room. <laughs> and uh, so she marched out of the room, and Betty Condon very grandly said, isn't it wonderful after all these years that Betty Bacall has finally discovered Ethel Merman? <laughs> <laughs> And then as the evening went on, and Phyllis was a great hostess. Oh, she kept and made everybody feel comfortable. And I sat with Jerome Robbins, who I never met. Oh. But uh, they had served barbecued spare ribs. But they were in, like, pieces. So I used my fork and uh, a knife to separate. And as I did, the plate slid off the table and went into my lap. And because of Jesus, I can't take you anyplace. And uh, so that was my introduction, but they were all there, and the, the big thing of the evening was uh, walking around with Sean Connery, and honey, the women in that room were doing everything but laying down, spreading their legs in front of them. I have never seen women carry on over a man oh like that God. in my life. And so it was quite a night, but it was in that wonderful Beresford apartment, and it had a great terrace overlooking yeah. Central Park, and I went, I said, oh, Phyllis, this terrace is like a, a Hollywood movie. She said, yeah, but she said, no, every time we use it, you have to wipe down the furniture because it's so dirty out there. So, you know, that's the reality of having a, yeah. you know, a terrace in New York right. City, the dirt. Yeah. So, but she was a great fun lady, and she did a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. And her, her, her children are terrific. Yeah. She reared two wonderful yes. children, and they have great senses of humor. And uh, she did a good job. She was a good mother and a wonderful performer. And, you know, initially she was kind of offered the uh, Dick Van Dyke show to play the Mary Tyler oh, part. Oh, I didn't know Yeah, that. and she didn't want to go to California right, to live. Right. She wanted to stay with her family in New York. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, she was on every time. variety show. I mean, yes. and every, and every Johnny Carson and yes. all that stuff. She was a staple. Yes. Yeah. Well, she was very bright and uh, charming and... Uh, the last time I saw her was at Lauren Bacall's wake in Lauren Bacall's apartment. Right. And very few of us were there, which right. was interesting. Very few. Yeah. And of the celebrity actors outside of Angelica Houston and um, Michael Douglas, Phyllis and myself, that was about it. Yeah. And the rest of them were business people or, you know, like Leonard Bernstein's daughter was there right. and things like that. But it, it was interesting mm-hmm. that there weren't more yeah. celebrities there. And all her work with the Women's Health Initiative. Oh, my yes. God. Yes, yes. Yeah, just a really, really special lady. Yeah. And yeah. I guarantee you, anytime you were in her presence, you had a lot of laughs, and uh, she just was the hostess with the yes. most. She really very was. Very active, very social. Yes. I think she was at some 54 Below gigs mm-hmm. that we did, Rob, oh a couple of years gosh. ago. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she was great because yeah. we, we, we did something I, um, from a show that she did the... out of town that closed. Yeah. Uh, Pleasures and Palaces. That's oh, right. Oh, my God, yes. Bob Fosse. And she emailed me directly and said, hey, um, you know, I know you're doing this. Would you mind if I came and told a story? 
Would you mind? Would you mind? <laughs> Please. Mind? I have no mind. She was great. Yeah. She was absolutely fantastic. Hey, podcast listeners. Are you looking for a place to rehearse in New York City that is clean, spacious, and most importantly, affordable? Come check out Shetler Studios and Theaters, our wonderful host for these podcasts. Shetler is centrally located on West 54th Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of the theater district. Right in the heart. You'll find music, dance, and acting studios, complemented by two black box theaters and six presentation venues. The professional facilities, inspired environment, and expert industry staff combined to provide the New York artist with an unparalleled studio experience. Visit their website at shetlerstudios.com That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com Shetler Studios and Theaters is our home for recording the legends of Broadway and we hope that you make it your artistic home too. That's Shetler, S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. See you here. Now, we lost two Rips this year, Rip Torn and Rip Taylor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Rip Taylor, I can give you a story on, because God knows he was funny. Oh, I love Rip Taylor. Tell us, tell us. Well, he was doing uh, Sugar Babies with Carol Lawrence in uh, Atlantic City. (laughs) I was going to say the Kenley Players. (laughs) (laughs) In Atlantic City. And Carol Lawrence asked me down to see the show, because we were planning to do something together. So I went down to see the show. And when Rip saw me in the audience, he stopped the show. He walked forward, leaned over to me, and sang, Try to remember, and if you remember, then swallow. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I screamed. And of course, the audience had no idea what he was doing. And they went back and did the show. That's my Rip Taylor story. I love him. That's a good one. Funny, funny, funny. Oh, yes. Generally funny and had a very, you know, uh, good career. Yeah, and a good actor. He was mm. actually a very mm-hmm. good actor, mm-hmm. very very good actor. Yeah. I remember once the only time I met him was. <laughs> Do you remember when Debbie Reynolds had a hotel in Vegas? Yes, she had a hotel for a hot second. Yes, and there was a poster that someone was nailing up to the wall saying "Rip Taylor appearing here," and I said. Oh my God, I love him. And the person turned around and it was Rip Taylor nailing up the sign. And he goes, Well, I'm happy you love me because Debbie doesn't. I have to do all my own publicity around here. And he was literally nailing the posters up in the hotel lobby. What was he? Was he famous? For, I mean, for being an actor? I mean, it was comedian. a comedian, yeah. right? I'm looking him up. And, and television. Like, it was yeah. television that brought him to the front. He was fl- kind of and he and Debbie and were very close friends. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, and yes. at the premiere of uh, 42nd Street in Los Angeles at the opening night party, Debbie and he hosted part of the party, and they presented oh. her, uh, you know, her costumes from the old movies and stuff. They were yeah. quite wonderful. Yeah. That was the cool thing at her hotel, which was there was an hour-long show where the costumes would come out on a turntable, and she would explain like each of them. Well, she had that museum, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she, she she was, was notorious she was for her collection. Passionate. Yeah, very passionate about preserving history. Yeah, and it ended up having to sell a lot of that stuff. That's right. Yeah, unfortunately. And what a shame! You know, mm-hmm. the hotel didn't work because God knows she. Paid off her debts not once but twice with the husbands and oh my God. a survivor. I mean, she really yeah. was unsinkable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, D.A. Pennybaker. Oh, of course. Who gave us the, the company uh, did, documentary did of the company, company documentary? Did Moon Over Broadway? Yes. Documentary? I got to watch that still. Stuff? Uh, not Moon Over uh, uh, Broadway, but, oh. but I, I did see uh, the would company like one, which was brilliant. Yeah. You would love Moon Over Broadway. Yeah. It's about Carol Burnett coming back to Broadway, uh. and it's dishy. 
Yeah. Very dishy, but good. Well, I was on the Carol Burnett uh, variety show as a dancer, regular dancer, right. in the, the first year. And uh, it was interesting because she was not what I had expected. You expect her to come in and just say, hi, I'm, you know, we're doing the show and we're all going to get to know each other. And, you know, how do you do nothing? First day of rehearsal, she came in, did what she was supposed to learn and left. And I don't think she ever knew my name for the three <laughs> months. And I'm a God knows she had enough to worry about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that that, but it wasn't what I had expected. Right. Yeah. I expected to have that, and it wasn't. Well, that's and as a matter of fact, uh, I did a, a little recording of Sunny yesterday, because it's wonderful jazz pianist, and I did a little record, and I gave it to her, hoping that she would give me my big break. And she, I sent it to her, and then she came one day, and she said, oh, I got your record. That was very sweet. We must talk about that sometime. Never talked about it again. <laughs> and she told uh, uh, Ernie Flat, she said, you know, maybe we should do a number for the kids one day because they're all so talented. And I thought, well, she looks at me as part of the group, so I ain't going to get discovered <laughs> by Carol Burnett. So one week on the show, they were doing uh, The Jungle Book, a takeoff, and Carol was going to play Mowgli. Mm -hmm. And Ernie Flat said, do you want to be the front or the rear end of the elephant, Leroy? And I said... Neither. And I handed him my notice, and I went back to New York because I knew that I was not going to get anything it. done there in California, right. that yeah. what I needed was in New York, and it was the, the musical theater because mm. the musicals weren't being done in film. And when I had done uh, Sweet Charity, mm -hmm. and I was interviewed at Universal to be a contract player for $350 a week, you have to sign a seven-year contract, and you cannot get out of it, but they can get out of it any time they want. Well, and it just scared me. Oh, and yeah. I thought, you know, I'll be stuck, and they'll try to make me a cowboy or a, a you know, a, a, a <laughs> detective in a series. And, God knows you know, I, I don't do that. And right. the, the musicals weren't to the front. And that's what I do. Not that I couldn't act and do the other stuff, but my heart is with the music. Yeah. You know, singing and the dancing, we do right. what we do. Right. And let the actors who just do that, let them have the yeah. work. Yeah. So. And speaking of the Carol Burnett show, Tim yeah. Conway. Oh, yes. Yeah. Funny. He wasn't <laughs> on the show when I was there the first three months. He came in later. Mm. But a genius. What a funny, funny guy. Yeah, him genius. and Harvey Corman together. Oh, my gosh. And Harvey Corman was Timeless. on the Danny Kaye show. Oh. He was a second banana. Oh. And uh, Danny Kaye was not a nice man. That's We've and heard he that many times, he too. He treated the people terribly on we've his show. We've heard that many times, yeah. Yeah, that seems to be a recurring. Yeah. And I remember once Harvey said to me, you know, Leroy, you have to be very careful about being gay in Hollywood. Da, 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 da. And I thought, I wonder why he's telling me that. Ding, ding. So, yeah, ding, ding, right. So huh. who knows? Interesting. Valerie I'm Harper. Saying. Oh, Valerie Harper, speaking of television, yeah. Yeah, yes. but big Broadway oh, career before tons. that. Oh, yeah, right? and even during. I mean, like she, she was in the ensemble. She yeah. came out, as all of us did. Yes. She was a Michael Kidd She was a Chita Hooper. Yeah. We all came out of the chorus. And Valerie, again, another person, the dancer, like Marty Sharnan. You put us all in a room. The veils are all taken off, <laughs> and they're down to earth and real and honest. And she was a bright light. Yeah. And I've never heard a bad word about her from anybody. No. No. No, you're right. No. Really special. Who else? Two, Who two behind the scenes people that you might not know their faces, but you know their work. Uh, Roger O'Herson, who wrote the book for uh, Pippin, mm. and then Sid Raymond, who did the orchestra. He's an orchestrator for West Side Story oh, yeah. and Gypsy. Uh, he did some of Gypsy, but he was uh, he was he didn't do a, have a huge output because he did I think a lot of variety show and television. But Sid Raymond was a, a, oh, a legendary. Legendary. Yeah. Sylvia legendary. Miles. Oh, oh Sylvia yes. Miles. Yeah. 
who was a New York staple. Oh, yeah. And uh, I never worked with her. I knew her socially. And I sat with her during events because mm -hmm. she was every place. I mean, she went to all of the openings and all of that stuff. As a matter of fact, that title about, you know, she would come to the opening of an envelope that was written about <laughs> Sylvia Miles, which is a cruel thing to say. But uh, she was just a professional lady who did her job, and she knew that was part of it. And she, her work uh, has delivered. She was a, a, an excellent actress, and, you know, the moments are on film for her. Midnight from, Cowboy. That's right. And you see that she was really quite brilliant and a fun person to be with. Now, she's the one who dumped the plate of food on John Simon's yes. head, right? Yes. Another one who we lost this year. Yeah, we had, right? him, we had him as a guest. Sort of a previous right. guest. Yeah, John Simon. Were you ever Simonized? I was in his company, and his wife teaches oh, yeah. at one of the colleges, and I've gone down and been part of her uh, okay. you know, her series and stuff, yes. But and John Simon was always very kind to me. Okay, so you never why. got... You no. don't have your famous quote of uh, No, anytime he reviewed me, he always gave me a kind mention. Okay. So I, I, I can't say, but I know that he's not been so kind to We've had guests where they could actually quote... To this, in in the moment, the thing he said about verbatim, them. yeah, they yes. could still remember that. Yes, that John yes. Simon quote. This is the ugliest cast I've ever seen on a stage. <laughs> one that went. And by. he also kind of went after the ladies. He did. Yeah, he was. So that's a well-known fact. Yes, one of whom I I knew who he gave her a lovely review and then called her up and tried to take her out. She didn't go. But, oh. Yeah. It depends on what kind of feet she had. Yeah. <laughs> we, we think. We think. We, yeah, can't, like, we can't. Alleged. We can't. Allegedly, we can't prove it. But when we were talking to him, every time he mentioned a woman he liked, there was always a comment about her feet in there somewhere. Oh my so, god! Did that. You're right. right yeah. So we thought that may, maybe, maybe, but we can't prove it. Who well, else is on your list? No, you never uh, know. Anne Crum. She was a, a respected member of the. Uh, she's in the ensemble. She played those supporting lead in oh, Aspects yeah. of Love and she was Very she's young too. I was always aware of. Yeah, we, we lost her way too. Oh, uh, uh, Betty Corwin, who started the New York film. Uh, the the New York uh, Library Film on t Theater on Film. Oh, yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. So thank God we had yeah. her. Yeah. Diane Carroll. We talked about. Talked about Diane Carroll. Um, Who else is on your list, Leroy? Well, um, the biggest one, of course, is Jerry Herman. Well, oh yeah. You know, we we've, we've mentioned Jerry, but my goodness, we lost a giant. You know, a man who wrote with his heart, and but he will live on forever. And as Julie Stein said in my presence. Uh, Jerry Herman is the Irving Berlin of his generation. Yes. You can't receive a better compliment than that. Mm -hmm. And when I turned 40 years old, they asked me what I wanted for my present. I said, I want Julie Stein, Cy Coleman, Jerry Herman, and Charles Strauss to sit th down at the piano, and I want them to play a song of theirs for me, and I'll sing it. And that's how I spent my 40th birthday. Oh, my God. And uh, That's insane. Yeah, and... Uh, Jerry was a, well. Jerry was a huge part of my entire life. Oh yeah, I remember flying on a plane with him. He he took me along to sing his songs when he would do events, and we were flying first class to L.A. And he told me about being uh, HIV positive and all of that stuff. And I already knew it, but uh, you know he told the whole story. And you think that he lived through that plus a quadruple bypass. And then the show that we did, an evening with Jerry Herman at the, um, the, what, the, the little theater next to the Schubert. Oh, the Booth? The Booth, the mm -hmm. Booth Theater. And uh, Florence Lacey and I, who, mm -hmm. as he said, were his two favorite singers. And we did the show, and the critics were not very kind. 
which was a shame, but they didn't understand what the evening was. It right. wasn't a Broadway show. It was a, it was a, a presentation Concert. of Jerry songs, yeah. playing his songs the way he wrote them with the people singing the way he liked them to exactly. be sung. So it was, you know, and I think they were expecting more of a production show. And mm. even when Patty did her concert, you know, they are not kind to concert type yeah. stuff. No. And it's a shame because there's room for everything, especially in those size theaters. Yeah. It broke Jerry's heart. Oh, really? And oh, many times, you know. But then he always had the success, and his songs will live forever. For and his ever. shows will live forever. I mean, you can't touch those scores. I mean, no. they, they're just and any song from any of Jerry's shows yeah. that you may not even know, you get someone to play the piano with a singer, you understand it, and you don't have to know anything about the yep. show. And he was a brilliant lyricist. Yeah, time heals everything, mm-hmm. but loving you. That's it. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. And also, give me an old trombone. Give me an old baton. Just his, were explosive to sing. Yeah. it's a great joy and a thrill to sing Jerry Herman's songs. Yeah, and, and it, recently I read in an article where Jerry said whenever he wrote a song, it was always for Judy Garland, because I was talking <laughs> to uh, Lorna Luft the other night because she's going to be part of the uh, memorial service on February third, as am I and, and a lot of people. But you know he deserves it because we all loved him and we mm-hmm. love singing his songs. And uh, but you know, and Jerry said to me, he said the most exciting moment of my entire life was seeing Judy Garland in concert at Carnegie Hall. That one that they recorded, he was in the audience that night. Oh, wow. He said, even with my own shows and the openings and all that, to the most exciting moment of my life was hearing Judy Garland live at the at Carnegie Hall that night. So that must have been something. <laughs> yeah. You, you had a such legend. a long relationship with him. And the first time you yes. met him was Hello, Dolly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we remained friends. And he told me that he wrote songs for women. I said, it's not true, Jerry. Mm-hmm. I sing your songs oh, all the time. So I started doing, and he would take me along, and we would do concerts together every place. And, uh, you know, and I became in so many of those songs, you know, the, about how a Penny in My Pocket was rediscovered. Do you know that no. story? Well, it's a long story. Rob but, loves know. the song. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I was in 42nd <laughs> Street. I was appearing at uh, Freddy's on the east side on the weekends for their late show. This is the nightclub act. The this nightclub is, yeah. act. My, my personal nightclub mm-hmm. act. And David Merrick had had his stroke. Mm. And uh, he was recuperating, and we had not seen him. And he was now living back with Aton who was his ex-wife, in her apartment. And she called me and she said, David has lost his speech, but he keeps mumbling and pointing to your picture in the paper about Freddy's, and he wants to come. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said it's good because he hasn't wanted to go out. So we would like to bring him over, but please don't have people take pictures of him, and he's not well, and he's lost his speech. and So he came over that night, and I met him at the limo. We walked him in. And he was going, and I would say, yes, David, I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) Yes. So and I'm looking at Aton, thinking, what's he saying? So we walk into the club, which is dark. He stopped, and he pushed aside, and he bent over, and he picked up a penny he saw on the floor and put it in his pocket. So I looked at Aton, and I said, I think David's getting better. (laughs) So we went into the show. He cried through the show, held my hand, mm-hmm. like a you know, like 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 a little boy, and uh, then I told that story to uh, 
Peter Howard the next day because we had a rehearsal for something we were doing. And Peter said, oh, my God, there's a song from Dolly that was cut called Penny in My Pocket. I'm going to go get it. He went in the back, and he got pieces of paper that he kind of put together. He said, listen to this song. He started playing. We called Jerry in California. and said, Jerry, listen. And, And Jerry said, oh, my God, I even forgot about that. And so we put it together, and I started doing it. And then Jerry gave it to Michael Feinstein, and it became part of the repertoire. Oh. <coughs> that's really how that song was rediscovered. Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was me telling the story to Peter Howard, who knew it because he was the original dance arranger. You're right. Great also musician. Dolly. Yeah, conductor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's how that song was rediscovered. That is. And then they did it in the revival. Yeah. yeah. But I'm telling you, a lot of Jerry's songs, from any of his shows, you take them out of context, they stand up on their own. Yeah. Because they're songs. That's the problem today. We don't have songs and musicals anymore. Right. I yeah. miss that. I, I miss that so and much. And they went on a journey. Like I read somewhere that he would write the, begi- the, the beginning and the end so he knew where the song was going and then he could fill in the middle mm. You know, it, because the, every song had a beginning, middle, end. You mm. know, It really took you on a journey. Yes. Great, great and songwriter. And also, just lyrically, look at his stuff. Yeah. He gets shortchanged. I mean, one of the critics said it's like a Hallmark greeting card. Well, fuck you. <laughs> it's really good. That's and right. you know, and everything doesn't have to be intellectual. Yeah. And also, it's easy to sing because it makes such sense. Well, there you go. And, but Jerry, as I keep saying, wrote from his heart. That's why it translates to everybody mm-hmm. emotionally. Right. And that's that, right. I'm telling you that memorial service, people are going to be in the aisles because it's not what we're going to do, it's what we're not going to do. Because yeah. everything stands up, every score. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful stuff in the Grand Tour. And, oh. uh, I mean, look at Mac and Mabel. Mac and Mabel. My God. A flop show with that Can't score. Can't go wrong. Even Dear World. I love yeah. Dear World. Oh, my and goodness. And, you know, the, the, the thing which we use a lot is that year at the Tonys, the nominations were Queen Victoria, a letter from Queen Victoria, uh, the lieutenant, uh, Shenandoah and The Wiz, which uh-huh. won. Uh-huh. And uh, Jerry's score wasn't even nominated. For Mac and Mabel. When Stupid. you think of that. Queen what Victoria. an oversight. Yeah. What an oversight. What's your favorite Jerry Herman song, if you had to pick one? Oh, gosh, I can't pick one. But the song that I do the most is It's Today. Mm. Because it is such a great show tune into four. Yes. And you open any show with that, you're home free. Yep. And it's just so joyous. And the melody is so infectious. And uh, I just never tire of singing that song. And everything from Dolly, I mean, my God. <laughs> it only takes a moment. And so you, you've been Cornelius. Yes. You've, you've directed it. Yes. And you were Dolly. Yes. The, the first male to play Dolly yeah. with Jerry Herman's approval. Yeah. In America, uh, the English actor, whose name I can't think of right now, I'm... That's the names I have to fight. But uh, he was, you know, he did it in London. Mm -hmm. And the reason I got to do it is that I know Mike Stewart and I know Jerry Herman. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who have done Dolly, just not in an equity production. Right, professional theater production. Did it in their basement or something, I don't know. but That would be me. That would be me. When you take a shower. Yeah, my shower production. (laughs) I'm a a brilliant Dolly. (laughs) Have you ever played Vandegelder? No, I can't play Vandergelder. I'm it's not I, I know when I'm right for something and when I'm <laughs> not. But I could not play Vandergelder. Louis Stadlin can certainly There's your I think oh, Louis Stadlin perfect. was the best Vandergelder ever. 
I bet he's a good. Oh, I, I he just, is so good because he, he could was be also so brilliant in the producers. Oh yes, because you knew in his character, you thought that Nathan would somehow talk himself out of fucking the old lady, but Lewis would have done it to get the money. <laughs> the big difference. Big difference. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Let's see. And, and then also, let's see, just uh, a couple of other names. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, another one at towards the end of this year was Allie Willis, who wrote. Uh, she's a songwriter, but gave us the color purple. Mm-hmm. Co-wrote that musical, Renee Albergenois, which I just yes. love saying his name. What a great actor! Yes, he Talk was. About he's around and he forever. Was so good in Coco, and actually, oh yes, he played a homosexual role in Coco, but it wasn't as out, and it opened before applause. But I happily got stuck with the title yeah. as being the first openly right. gay actor because it was hinted at in Coco, but it wasn't as yeah. open as it was in Applause. So I'll take it. Yes. But he was a brilliant actor. And a nice man. Yeah. 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 Really sweet, sweet guy. Was he in Dance of the Vampires? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, he was. Sorry. Go ahead. No. And Ron Liebman. Oh, yeah. The great Ron yes. Liebman. Yeah. Oh, great actor. Yes. You know, uh, from Angels in America, yeah. but a wonderful film and television career. Yeah. Married to Jessica Walter. Yeah. Really talented. And that's, you know, and then, of course, we wanted to save the, the best for last, and that's Bob. Yes. My husband, Robert Joseph Donahoe, mm. you know, left us on December 6th after battling leukemia mm. for the entire year. Yeah. And uh, the last eight weeks got him, and, uh, you know, uh, half of your life goes after 50 years. And we lived long enough to get married yeah. because we could. Yeah. Not because we needed to declare it, but you have to be smart enough to cover yourself legally. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. I watched Judge Judy. <laughs> <laughs> so he knows. You how can't go and expect the courts to clear out something if you don't make it legal. Amen. So how, how, how did you and Bob first meet? Oh, God, it's a long, boring story that we don't have time to go uh, into. Okay. Let's just say I met him at a restaurant. Okay. Great. And uh, that that's how it all started. That's amazing. And it's the only living person I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Not saying that I haven't spread the seed. Yeah. I'm in show business. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because all those boys in the chorus, you know, are good looking, talented, and a lot of fun. <laughs> so, you know, if you're ever gonna have a good time, you wanna go with a with the boys in the chorus. Get in the chorus. And we have to say ensemble now, but get, you know, get in, that's right. we used get, to say chorus boys in the old days. So. Get it get in the ensemble. Yeah, that's right. Um, and but if, now the boys in the chorus are equal. You know, there's as many straights as there are gays. Oh, I know yes. in the old days, when Don Korea, you know, who married Sandy Duncan, we always just say, listen, take care, honey. In this dressing room, you're the queer one. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, I love, I love that. We used to get Don all the time, who's a great guy. And boy, is Sandy Duncan lucky to have mm-hmm. him. Yeah. He's a terrific guy. He's a sweet, sweet man. Yes, he is. He is. Are those our names? We did. We, we, this we, is, we so had this a nice celebration. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of big losses for our community, but we're looking forward to a happy, healthy, and wonderful 2020. Yes. And we, we obviously have missed people because you oh, always sure. do. Of course. Of but, course. you know, we, we've hit uh, the people that have, you know, been with us. Mm-hmm. And it, it's lovely to talk about them. And the memories live through us, and we're passing it on. And... You know, hopefully, you know, the people there appreciate all the wonderful gifts that they gave. Yes. yes. Yeah. And we were very lucky that three of them that passed this year were kind enough to make time to sit down with us right. and review their careers yeah. before they left us. Yeah. So um, we are, we are so that. grateful to have you. We wish you nothing but the best in 2020. Thank you. Um, I know our listeners cannot wait for <laughs> for the end of 2020 <laughs> exactly. to have you back here again to dish and, and tell us some good stories. And you were good. You were You were clean. <laughs> well, sort of. 
But you know, you take it with a grain of salt. Big one. And you know, it, it, some of it is gossip. I wasn't mm. there, but it's it's good in putting everything into perspective. And uh, we deal with reality, so and God knows we're going to have to deal with it this coming year. Amen. Oh, this year's going to be interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it indeed? Well, for fun, go read Scotty Bauer's book. <laughs> Full service. Full service. And ne- and never eat a sandwich from Charles Lawton's house. Like, <laughs> once you read the book, that'll, that'll make a little bit more sense well to you. All right. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Yes. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain. Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.